Hello everybody, how are you? Welcome back to Brian Schaefer story. So, I really hope you're doing well. And I gotta mention that despite my recent getaway, it wasn't near enough satisfactory to quell my craving for warmer and sunny weather. I swear we got darkness and cold weather from November to March. And now also into April. Uh, well, even though it's gotten a little bit better, to make it more understandable, I've actually googled what US state has the most similar climate to Sweden. And it seems it's uh, somewhat up for grabs, but states that pop up are Maine and Vermont. But someone on Quora wrote, I can give you Vermont as being most like Sweden geographically, climate-wise. That being said, nowhere in contiguous United States is truly like Scandinavia. The closest would be Alaska. And I couldn't agree more. It's what it feels like at least. And then I'm living in the capital, which is definitely milder than the most known in parts, which is called Lapland. Up there so close to the North Pole, it is like Alaska. But this time of year, it's nonetheless a perfect time to compile these episodes. And it's really great to see this surge in interest as of late, despite the gap that was between the apps released from last autumn. There seems to be a genuine interest to see where all of this is going. And I gotta update you on the Brian Schiffer story merchandise I mentioned a couple of episodes back. I've looked things up, and I've managed to set up a temporary store on a well-known US online creator retailer. This enables that orders can be placed super easily from anyone within the US with low shipping costs. And international buyers can order as well with some additional fees added. This campaign mode entails it's all time limited. So the products will be sent out after the campaign end a couple to three weeks from then. So it's basically then or never. All the garments are in high quality, uh, sweat-free fabric, and wrap accredited produced. I will later put up links in episode descriptions, and I'll all let you know when it's live and ready. So, you're probably wondering, why the heck is Edo bringing up this missing soldier all the time? And why I sort of left things at a standstill? It's not like he's missing anymore. And it's true. Exactly why. It's about what we can learn from it. In its totality. We had a person in his prime. Suddenly gone. With no obvious apparent reason. A botched search. And law enforcement stating. They had investigated every lead available. And couldn't do more. Pleading family members. And with time passing. This vacuum. The perfect opportunity for people to fantasize and romance on what could have happened. The same surrounding circumstances in its vanishing that we've heard about endless times. But for once, we also had a resolution, a finding, in its essence, a solved missing persons case. And with that result, despite all those tragic circumstances around the case, an answer we could cling to and keep in our mind. But the real undisputed reason disabled man went missing in the first place. That fatal accident. What about that piece of information? The introduction in the first part, Denis Arda, the missing solar connection, 
was me trying to envisage something logical and isolate something rational from the swell of theories that arose and kept swirling while the lead soldier was missing. Something had of course to have happened. It nonetheless pointed towards something sensical and more easily explainable contrary to all the fiction that was being omitted online and on social media. While compiling and ultimately releasing the two-part episode, something had begun taking its hold on the narrative, however. This thing that seemed to be this planted seed at first grew stronger and stronger. It was pushing aside the so clear and cut path that scene was laid out. But it was still so unsubstantiated that at the time to even bring it up in my own part of the episodes was so far out that I had no choice but to omit it, but somehow managed secretly to leave an opening. So that if something concrete ever surfaced, I possibly could have revealed that. Since then, and in that span, the seed has grown into this huge sequoia, but vicious tree, pushing the trajectory to a point where it's futile to try to deny it. The time has come to reveal what happened and to confirm that what that seed grew into is true. And people writing about it was true. And I've seen a death certificate someone got hold of and posted. Denis Arda took his own life that day. Shock and disbelief, and it has to be said a scenario that no one wished for. But if you thought that this was the end of it all, well, sorry to disappoint once again. The way in which Dennis died was as perplexing and more elaborate than one might think. This new set of details now set in motion a new side trajectory catapulting the narrative yet in another direction. So, once again, this back and forth. Even though we thought we knew, still chunks of mystery and unknowns. The death certificate was indicative, but also not totally undisputable. It left somewhat of a hotbed for inconclusive interpretation, you might say. So, once again, here we are. Me wanting to share the soldier's fate once and for all. And obstacle after obstacle just keep popping up. Namely, they say Denis Arda used explosive to kill himself with. He wired himself with a detonation cord and pushed the blasting cap. Parts of his family completely rejected the idea that Dennis would deliberately have committed this act. So, from a simple accident at first, things headed towards a devastating suicide, and then some voices were raised that this now have to have been a homicide. This was kind of too much to take in. Is it yet again this tale that reality is always harsher than fiction? So wondering on how to proceed and share all of this, I just had to pause. And after a while, with a sense of duty coming upon me, I remembered what I myself told in the other part of one recent case I covered. Do we ourselves have to roll up our sleeves to get the job done? I was certain, even though we were closer than ever, of finding out the true, real cause to why this man disappeared. That not everything was laid out neatly on the table to be gazed upon. A special detail started to intrigue me. Potentially something that would help to see things more clearly 
and be of invaluable assistance in further cases and in the quest of this series. That plate would perhaps never have been served again. The actual discovery of the body. My question to you is, do you speak Polish? So, continuing in this episode, I'll talk Brian Schaefer, then I'll backtrack the Missing Solar Connection episodes, and then you'll hear three people in the futures and clips. One person is me. The second is an old friend of mine, a subcontractor from the old days when I worked in the construction business. And then you'll hear Ori, the man who found Denis Arda. This is the series where we cannot get enough in hearing of Brian Schaefer and of his mysterious disappearance. His case being one with many possible venues. And with what's left at hand for us to dwell on, almost entirely open for debate. I mean, there are certain details not open for this debate. But many leads to even open up possible roads are dependent of your own interpretation and of your own assessment and research. And if you prefer one set of events to another, that whole progress might be colored with that brush of ideas. Not pondering this disappearance at all will maintain this riddle unsolvable and keep it the modern urban legend it has become. So that's not an option. In contrast, I've talked how about staying open to all plausible outcomes is intriguing at first, and attracts fans of true crime and the mysterious. But if you want to get serious, staying on that open wide path will eventually get you astray nonetheless, and even more distracted from discerning the real cause. You would go along with it for a while, but you'd lack endurance to keep at it, and will eventually pick something colorful out of the cannon box that lets you move on and do other things. This so-called aiming at random without feeling the necessity of hitting straight in the middle, is sort of fun and entertaining. Like the many hundreds of episodes that we made of Brian's case. A bewildering moment then and there. But that shot isn't close enough 
to give some of us the satisfaction of pretending that we hit that bullseye. Staying in one sole path is narrower and will eventually lead you somewhere, a road to more answers hopefully. But it has disadvantages too. No matter the choice, most often you feel like you'll be traveling alone in this sole direction. Perhaps you'll feel like you're gazing at passersby flying past you in the other direction, whilst you walk painfully slow from the side of the road. And you might ponder if your choice is ultimately worth all that time spent. But the famous Italian proverb, which my grandfather always reminded me of, is comforting. Chiva piano, vasano e valontano. Whoever goes slowly, goes safely and goes far. On a human level, this core of seeking answers for Brian, you could say it's about our own aspirations as living, breathing beings to be able to unravel something truly incomprehensible so that we somewhere can comprehend and try to make sense of it all. This shade of the unknown is so perplexing that we at least want to shed just the right amount of light so that we feel satisfied we've done what we can to get an answer of some sort. And in one way, you don't have to argue that along the way, no matter what you're trying to assess, we've also grown really fond of this medical student and of his ultimate fate, even though almost every one of us didn't know him personally. And so, on that very same note, amidst all of this, in this quest for answers, another mysterious disappearance popped up, this time local to me. In the winter of 2020, news spread in the capital city and the entire nation of this elite soldier gone missing. This completely mesmerizing character, a strong, abled individual with a seemingly kind and devoted personality. His name was Dennis Arda. I couldn't help to be grabbed by this story and the quest to try to locate him. It was his family who came out pleading for answers. The soldier wasn't on board a flight to the most northern part of the country, where a military exercise would have taken place. After some initial confusion, they described it as uncharacteristic for him not to be in contact with his family. People began seriously looking for him. Few leads, but some vaguely indicated Dennis was to head out for an extended running exercise, possibly on a trail encircling the southern part of the capital. But it was a massive area to cover by foot, an inch by inch. Eventually, some digital traces found narrowed the search area to cover a national park called Tyrista. As all possible theories were up for grabs though, the police, in parallel to the searches, initially launched themselves headfirst on a foul play scenario, and his disappearance was investigated as a kidnapping and a murder. Valuable resources were freed up when investigating, but the few leads that were available failed miserably under the scrutiny of hard-eyed detectives. Nothing in any direction pointed to nefarious reasons to why Dennis Arda had gone missing. The only rational road left after all the fictional and non-fictional layers of theories had been disseminated was that running exercise towards the dense forest grounds of the Tyrstad National Park. But some things didn't add up like the no possessions carried along, a theme we've all witnessed prior in these cases. Here, with a few mitigating facts though, 
the recently bought Garmin watch enabled you to leave the phone behind and a wallet. Using the legs as a mean of transportation, the commuter card was of no use either. But the sudden supposed medical or natural accident should have left the toe of something for someone to find. The most obvious running trails had been checked. Massive searches had been conducted and found no trace of Dennis Arda. Again, rational paths, in every sense of the word, scoured by search parties comprised of rational people, hadn't procured anything of value to end this mystery. At last, after a little more than three months of searching, a lone venturer found the remains of the missing soldier. So in its all simple essence, the puzzle to solve became, was Denisarda running towards or away from something? Most of the factual leads investigated by law enforcement after the physical remains were discovered conclude he was basically running away from his life and running towards his death, a soldier on a suicide mission. The main clue of this conclusion is due to the fact that explosive devices were found in close proximity to his body. It is believed Denis Arda rigged himself with this device and set it off to end his life. This method used to finalize this self-destructive mission of no return couldn't be held as definitive by the coroner's report, however, an impossibility to determine intent or scope, made it almost impossible for an independent party to confirm absolutes. The choice preferred in this case by the coroner became the square, unable to verify intent, and sits after the accident square and after the suicide square, basically undetermined but undetermined between the latter. This square is not to be used at all when suspecting causes by third party. Family members and many others for that matter, like his best friends, do not believe Denis Arda would have committed this act of self-murder. But they got a hard time explaining the hunch without concrete physical evidence. So how to interpret the data? There's no trace of nothing except the hunch. No evidence to suggest anything than own culpability. Yet, they believe. It's hard. And it's really hard to deny them that right. But, it's becoming clearer by the day to be satirical that what we're dealing with here, at large, are cases where the main protagonist, due to unknown circumstances, decides to initiate a self-eliminatory process. And in this state of mind, the life force that normally maintains and keeps fighting is thwarted and inverted. It's bizarre that the same force that can keep you alive in the most disadvantageous situations enhances your own capabilities to complete this dark goal and in the process create this incomprehensible mystery for the rest of us to dwell on. What are we supposed to learn from this? Being careful what you wish for. It seems the mystery is part of the puzzle. Let's put it in this way. What we can comprehend we're less interested in. What we don't comprehend, we're more interested in. But there's a glitch in the system. A very profound one, and I could even use Brian Schaefer's own case as the example. Let's say Brian ran away somewhere to start anew. He went for it that very first of April. Secretly and covertly, with no one knowing about it. Secretly and covertly, so that he could have done all he'd wished for without anyone he knew bothering. The thing is that Brian was perfectly entitled to do whatever the hell he wanted without having to ask someone's permission for it. The most stupid thing he could have done if he had wanted to start a new life somewhere was to do it secretly and covertly. 
Brian wasn't stupid. Brian was at the top percent of his class in one of the most renowned medical schools in the US. In this way, you had law enforcement investigating and behind you and on your trail. The rest of the family teamed up with PIs inquiring and the public on the lookout for decades. In your own best interest to remain at peace when living your new life. A sentence of a few chosen words would have done a trick. Like, screw you all, I'm out of here, period. And get that. What's the point of playing this never-ending innuendo mystery? Is this mystery then played out at random? Or is it part of a carefully erected plan? The glitch in the system is exactly that. If it's intentional, say the plan is that you wish to vanish from the face of the earth, and you will succeed, it will spark interest. There will be a fuss and squeaking from the rest of us. And if it gets really loud, reverberation in the press even, and so on. It's so counterintuitive. You want nothing but quietness and get the largest bang there can be. If it's not intentional, but just so happens to be, that will also create a mystery in itself. But do you see what I'm trying to get at and what you can deduce from this equation? The intent. So, to proceed, what we gotta figure out is if the mystery is intentionally engineered, completely arbitrary, still intentional, or created from someone else's wrongdoing. The cops, they occupy themselves with the last one in a category. They may not solve every crime committed, but they'll at least will sniff onto that something if bad happened. If you're into played hide and seek, they might play along in the beginning. Just to make sure they're not missing out on anything. But they don't sniff that something. They won't have the endurance to play along. Stay long haul in the game at no expenses paid, sure. But usually with the message, there's nothing more to go on. That's why the initial phase, the effort to try to locate, is crucial in these cases. It has mostly to do with interest and resources. The first hour, the first days, energy and time is there. But it is an exponential curve spiraling downwards quite fast. After a while, the next phase will deal with eliminating or crossing out locations. After a longer while, and nothing found, the researching tools are bound to become emotions, nostalgia and compassion. They don't have the highest of priorities in this day and age, where new cases, one worse than the other, keep popping up, and their efficacy abortive. Of course, in a mystery vanishing, a discovery, for instance, detection of the remains, is crucial to say the least. It quells much of the mystery, answering the where and when, but rarely resolves questions like the why. In fact, the retrieval itself might raise other topics at hand, inflicting other disappointment and frustration. And if those topics remain unidentified, the whole thing becomes this double-edged sword, with one side of the blade in fully shining light, and the other one clouded in total darkness. It's a matter of acceptance at the end. So what will we prefer, a disappearance shrouded in total mystery, or a double-edged sword? With the discovery, we have the chance of trying to process or try to comprehend something, and provide authorities the possibility to affirm what we most likely are dealing with. It's a multifaceted answer with holes in it, but at least it's something very tangible. We have a dear and missing friend, a relative, or total stranger, 
that we can lay to rest. And it gives us also the chance to investigate the brains out of ourselves, if we'd like to. At the very least, we got something concrete we then can choose to accept and move on from, or not. It feels like a total mystery is much harder to accept. It's alluring, irresistible, addictive for some, but in the end, the lack of answers is bone-cracking. Dennis Arda's case had all the elements to place in the category of a total mystery, with the extra component, the discovery of the remains added on top. The effort conducted to try to locate him, the military-style headquarters set up, combined with all the shebang in the press, and the allocation of information to the public was unparalleled, and there will probably be nothing like it again on our soil in a time of peace. Police were involved, as said, but not how you would have imagined. They were dispatched to a park area in Stockholm, because several hundreds Navy Rangers had showed up to look for their missing comrade. I recently sat down with Dennis Arda's best friend, Henrik, himself an officer, who led this effort to find him. He told me the first contact he had with the police was them trying to keep these gatherings in check, not participate in the searches. Later. As the exploration grounds were expanded, private citizens could upload their movements in a specially compiled database that selectively kept track of all the grounds covered. Some clues like guessing passwords ultimately led the cohort to the Tyrstad National Park. Active soldiers from all military branches throughout Sweden joined in. Special canine units from the military trained to operate in war times took part. Parachute rangers, army hunters, and even Apache trained trackers were involved. Yet, despite this enormous congregation of military pedigree and civilian mass contribution, and after the massive amounts of grounds covered, nothing simply do nada. It cannot be underestimated how potent this assembled search army was, yet it failed. Nothing was unearthed. Then along comes his fella, Ori. A Polish electrician in his late 30s, we were told, who enjoyed to spend time in nature and take photographs, and just recently arrived to Sweden. Three months later, in February 2021, he visited the Tyrrhusta National Park for the first time in his life and happened to stumble on a body that, after examination, turned out to be Dennis Arda. Whatever you might think, Ori, in this aspect, outshone the rest of the bunch if the quest had been to find the missing elite soldier. He succeeded in delivering, even though he was never really part of the competition in the first place. Namely, he wasn't even looking to find someone. In this sense, he surpassed hardcore professionalism, military doctrine, and methodical approach. A systematic search and rescue. But was it all a pure stroke of luck from a private citizen scavenging entirely at random? I was intrigued to know if there were other forces at play, and that it wasn't a freak finding it was portrayed to be. I decided I had to meet and talk to him. Easier said than done, but eventually we met eye to eye. Ori accepted the invitation, because as a missing persons advocate, or whatever you want to call me, 
he sensed I wasn't up for anything delinquent. On the contrary, the experience was quite remarkable, even though we didn't speak the same language, we understood each other. And even though we didn't understand each other, we spoke the same language. He talked and expressed himself in terms I had begun relating to when contemplating these vanishings, and I could sense what he was depicting. Ori is really a Ukrainian national. He speaks Polish because of his descent. He told me about and showed me pictures when he was enrolled in the Ukrainian army, fighting several years for the liberation of the Donbas and Oblast Luhansk regions. That day, the 27th of February, he took me through the whole day from early morning until the finding. He took many pictures and documented his progress. By the time he passed the crevice where the remains laid, he had been wandering for nine hours, walking straight, following a set point of a physical compass. Using the phone would have drained too much battery. He explicitly said, I don't walk where other people go. He traversed an icy lake and waded into freezing water without the shoes on not to soak them. He never diverted from the intended direction. The cliffy part before the discovery was especially demanding, so steep and rugged he had to descend by crawling on his behind, and then reaching this plateau where three tipped boulder rocks leaned on each other. They created a space under, like a cavity, and there he saw what seems to be a body. He didn't really know how to react, and was in a bit of a shock as the finding caught him off guard. He felt the remains had lied there for a while, and that this person must have relatives who missed him. He left no more than minutes afterwards, and reported the finding online that same day to the police. But police didn't take it seriously. A couple of days later, he physically showed up at the police station to inquire on the progress. Only three minutes after entering the police station, three police units took off with sirens on, after the clerk behind the counter had sounded the alarm. Ori was told to go back home, and that they would take care of things. They later summoned him to meet with investigators. He allowed me to listen to this interrogation. The short version is that they were really keen to understand his movements that day, and particularly from which direction he had approached that plateau where Dennis lay. But they never inquired him with the slightest of indication that he was suspected of anything. You could hear without them saying so. They had their mind already set up on what had happened. That same analogy was later communicated to the Nisarda's family. During our meeting, there was no need whatsoever to read between the lines on what Ori was saying. He described distinctly and vividly arriving to and finding the remains. Basically, what drove him to end up where he did. A spot perhaps no one would have gone to within a foreseeable future. In fact, the only person who had was another soldier, Denis Arda. To give a detailed description or recount the totality of what we discussed is hard from this face-to-face meeting in multiple languages. I would have to translate sentences from another translation, which I got thrown at me. But we dealt with the natural and, let's say, energy that surrounds us. Not necessarily the supernatural, but this special harmony that's present in nature, perhaps with references to cosmology and faith combined. The area where Dennis was found was part of a larger area that had been devastated by fire decades earlier. 
Ori described a place and the atmosphere as heavy, depressing, not necessarily detrimental or negative, but idle, protective and guarded. Some moments are hard to convey nonetheless, with body language, expression and reactions sometimes more descriptive than verbal communication. On the outcome and of the missing soldier's fate, I showed him the coroner's report, which stated more or less the following line. Military-grade explosive residue and materials found on close proximity to the body. Ori was somewhat incredulous of a scenario, taking your own life in that way. He wanted to know what type of devices were used. What I found, the limited time spent on the matter, is that it seems to be an extremely rare suicide method. The few cases that exist mention a previous user experience with explosive materials and the routine of using confined spaces where the detonation occurs. Both of these seems to fit the bill. I asked Dennis Arda's best friend Henrik on the possibility of sneaking out explosive material from the military quarters and he told me it was difficult but doable. In practice it would have to be stolen. In the army knowledge of explosives is taught in basic solid training. Even though commanding officers who are in charge of distribution and caretaking the material during exercises and they are continuously screened and assessed for suitability, a situation could present itself where unconsumed or superfluous material that was supposed to be used in the exercise instead of being restored or reshelved is instead pocketed by the same officer and then snuck out. If that is the intent, it is thus theoretically possible to steal it. And on the various types of explosive the army uses, two kinds in particular are mentioned. Detonation cord, PETN, where the explosive material is inducted in the cord itself and sets off with a high velocity. And the other variants with fuses and cords, where the charge is set off from a distance and leaves residue. Maybe some of you out there are more familiar with what I'm saying, and there would be a lot more to add. However method and or material that was used, I wanted to bring up the issue of the chances of any third party involvement. I'll let you hear when I asked Uri if he grasped any kind of motive on why the body lay there in that spot, and he shared the moment of the discovery. He says the first 30 seconds he thought he was looking at some trash, mixed with a pair of shoes. Then he sees a knee, which I really believe Ori meant as legs. The word in Polish for legs is kosh. And he realizes he's looking at a human body. He's quite shocked and panicked about that fact. Getting really dark and feeling disoriented, he's pondering whether to examine things further or just getting out of there. He's kind of entered panic mode. In the end, he just wants to head forward he sees no other way than to abandon the site and try to make it out of there. Objectively, you can verify this by looking at the timestamp on captured images. Men när han såg när han såg kroppen där, ja. eh, tänkte han tänkte han någonting om motivet varför varför kroppen låg där till exempel eller att det fanns någon anledning till det? Det är så att det är så att det är så att det är så no, tutaj, tutaj, gdzie jest pierwsze 30, 30 sekund, to tak przypatrzę, a następne widzę, że 
To jest kość, moja kość. Forsta trzeci sekundę, han tita podejar, są han hita, han wistinta de krop. Czy to śmieci jakiś buty? Han trudy non skrepele, skurme, non skrep. Ale następne widzę, że widzę kość. Nie, han sirk. I następne było już zrozumienie, że to jest ciało. I ludzkie ciało. A ty krop, the folk krop. Co było później? Co później? Jakie odczucia twoje były dokładnie? Sen? No to był taki szok i jakoś... Szok, szok, panik. Szok. No i to panik, szok. Han byli... I ja rozumiem, że to ciało nie tylko zabiją tego człowieka, a to ciało już długo tam leży. Han byli w sztorze, a te folk są inne typy. I trakcja czasu, że już ciemno, muszę iść, ale i mnie goni, że ja muszę iść stąd. Albo ja tam też zostanę jak ten chłopak. Subsequently, I follow up by asking if it was a spot Denis Arda went to by his own volition or if someone could have placed him there. Men kan man säga någonting om till exempel är det, är det en plats som man som Dennis självmant har tagit sig till eller är det, skulle det någonstans i någon typ av fantasi kunna tänka sig att någon har lagt honom där? Det är yes, möjligt att någon som går och anjus där påsjuk det mesta eller måste jag Dennis samma mm, samma spad? Nej, där anjus, nu to 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 vågulen är log, nu to to da zanieść, znaleźć takie miejsce. Hita są na stele, gdy umylić. Ok, transportera, kropę. Ja nawet nie rozumiem, że... To nie mogę ktoś zanieść. Fisz masz, a na stele są kasta krop. Antrud umylić. Kiedy pójdziemy bezpośrednio tam, a ja rekomenduję pójść, aby te sam odczuwte. Ori basically said that that spot is not the location a perpetrator would have picked out. It would have been much easier to choose somewhere else. Transporting a body there, an impossibility. If you would have visited the location yourself, you would have understood. So, if the story of Dennis Arda ends here or not, I can't say. I won't take any more chances. I feel like I've done my part to gather more intelligence to try to give an explanation and to get to the core why some of these disappearances occurred and turn into these mysterious cases. I was partly so shocked to learn about the rumors and the detonation part that I had to go to the bottom of it to understand it myself and get the correct picture. I always believed this had been a freak accident. 
now instead it points to something else, and you know what? But I'm not totally convinced. I, much like Dennis Friend said, we understand the facts, but the voice within is hesitant, and I don't see the absolutes nonetheless. I'm amazed that Ori never treated this in absolutes either, despite what I laid out. He really treated the conversation as if something accidental had happened to Dennis, even though he tried his best to contemplate various scenarios. He mentioned Dennis' flat running shoes as odd to wear when visiting such a remote and rugged place, as someone might say a seasoned, almost special ops soldier would have known better. The meeting was revealing. It confirms to me a different mindset is at play, odd patterns and movements before it's all finalized or something accidental happens. Or his mindset that they basically crossed paths with a soldier on the same mission, perhaps with different end goals. He's a dude alive and well and gave us hints on how to go about and navigate a square two scenario and what signs to look out for in the open. You see now, look where me trying to envisage something logical and isolate something rational got me. No wonder the police has a hard time struggling with these cases. Ori was human sniffing that day, without even knowing so. I think that work can be recopied. I actually had to tell him he was a sniffer. He knew exactly what I meant without asking. Then he smiled and said, I'm like everybody else. No, you're special, unique. And my interpreting friend concurred. He really is special. So we still got a few apps to go before that full circle is drawn. And uh, Stay committed, share this story, and I'll see you next time. So long. Bye.